Welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and rapid speculation about all things NFL. This week, we'll be looking at penalties in the state of the NFC East, review some of the games from Week 2, and look forward to Week 3's matchups. Uh, welcome to Week 2 of the podcast. Uh, we're going to talk this week about a little bit of news to start off. So, firstly, about flags and indiscipline and ref reinforcement. So... Connor, what do you make of the current discipline regime? Oh, good lord! Uh, yeah, just it was something we noticed over the over the weekend that just there was penalties absolutely everywhere. And I'm not sure whether it's you know massive indiscipline on the part of players or maybe just that the that the that the coaches have been told to to flag things a lot more. Uh, we're we're looking at the numbers for this, and it's uh, it's it's a little bit ridiculous. So in the games this weekend, there were 317 penalties which made up 2,838 yards over the course of 16 games. So, like, normally what you get is about 12 penalties a game on average, and that's that's throughout the season. This week, I don't know what it is about week two, has 19.8 per game, nearly 20 penalties a game. So, like, if you just if you just think about that, like, that's, let me see, about 10, nine, nine, nine yards a penalty uh, so you're talking about nearly 100 and 160, 170 yards every single game being done on penalties alone. And it's got to be frustrating for people trying to watch the sport as well. It breaks up the flow of play and it can really just kind of, obviously it can save a drive, but it can also absolutely ruin it for teams. Yeah. And Harry, like, do you think that there were many results that were influenced by penalties? Because if you think about referees had a big involvement in the Giants last week. Was there any games this week you felt were particularly ruined by penalties? I don't know if there were any sort of individual calls that made, made a huge amount of difference, um, but I think sort of accumulated penalties hurt an awful lot of an awful lot of teams. The Miami Dolphins, in particular, I remember there being a, lot, a large amount of penalties in that game. Similarly, in the Monday Night game, the Colts seemed to either be defensive or offensive holding on almost every second play. Uh, so, as Connor was saying, there was certainly just a huge amount of just drive killing. Uh, momentum changers going on and I think part of it is a point of emphasis from the referees uh, particularly on uh, defensive holding and uh, the engagement from defensive backs we've seen over the last few years but a lot of the penalties are just coming from O-line and discipline we saw it with the uh, with the Colts we saw it a lot with the with the Eagles this week as well constant infringements at the line of scrimmage and the referees do seem to be clamping down now quite a bit whenever anybody is turned around whenever there's an arm in there they're going to call a hold, and teams need to get their O lines playing smarter if they're going to be able to avoid that. Because ten yard, a ten yard penalty, particularly on second or third down, that's a huge, huge momentum killer. And while I don't think there's any individual, again, there's no individual thing you can point to and say that necessarily changed a game. But a lot of the, for a lot of teams, the just, just constant infringements, constantly stalling. Yeah, and I was just saying, I'm enjoying the, um, the Seattle Seahawks still protesting innocence at every defensive holding block in the downfield and any sort of defensive penalty at all. The Seahawks are still like, what? Us? Never. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. But yeah, like it is, it is just this thing of, I understand the need for safety in the game and I understand the need for kind of stopping dodgy things like pick plays and like blindside blocks and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's not really the nature of most of the penalties that we're seeing. Most of what we're seeing is much softer stuff. It seems like things that, especially in a lot of cases, could just almost be let go just to allow the game to flow a little bit better. Like, given we had nearly 3,000 yards of penalty yardage, but we only had one fight that resulted in a in, in, in someone being um, 
removed from the game. It's it's not like this is kind of a massive player safety issue. A lot of this is just technical. You are you're you're holding on too long. You're moving a second too far, and I know that can be the make or break of games. But it seems to be an awful lot of an awful lot of slowing games down to try and make sure that they flow in the way that the that the referees want. And I'm not sure if that's a good direction or not. Yeah. There's definitely something to that. I don't know if we have a staff on it, but uh, it does did seem like, particularly on, on just opening drives, there were a lot of penalties. I think that, particularly on the offense, like that may be a result of the referees laying down laying down a marker. Uh, and at the start of a lot of games, say, yeah, this is this is what we're going to enforce for the rest of it. We're going to be as strict as possible, so you know you're not going to get away with anything. And the result of that has been straight off the bat, quite a few of those technical penalties. Yeah, and they don't seem to even like like we we we've had many of discussion over over a couple of pints watching the games about how like they don't use uh, goal line technology or videos or anything like that or uh, install cameras or anything like that to try and ensure probably the most important calls on the field like did that go over the line <laughs> is this a score but they're happy to spend lots and lots of time emphasizing and slowing down games to ensure that people are using correct blocking techniques and not holding on for half a second too long yeah no it is interesting because it's i think it seems to be born out of this decision that they made that they wanted to stop the way that teams were getting uh, physical on defense but in order to emphasize the rules that they've been like you know these rules that they've been using to try and stop um kind of or to limit the, the strength of um you know press defense they seem to have instead made the game super slow and hard to watch yeah it's and it's like you look around the league at uh, like we're, we're not really going to go into because we had a lot of chat about injuries last week we'll talk about one or two probably as we go through games but like it's not slowed down injuries. We're looking at what about fifteen percent of the league being injured this 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 yeah. this season so far in two weeks. So it's not stopping that, unless maybe the dam is broken and we'd have fifty percent of the league injured if they didn't have this type of regulation. I think it's just a matter of that. There's the NFL. A lot of the times can operate a lot on rules. Like it seems to be a sport that's very rule dependent and very kind of um, technicality dependent. I think it's just gotten it's 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 that's what's more so the dam is broken. It's it's just gotten to the point now where the rules have gotten so complex that nearly anything can be a penalty if you look at it the right way. And to a certain extent, that's going to create a bigger a bigger barrier for new fans getting into the sport. Like I know it's already difficult enough chatting to people here in Ireland, going, "Oh, and why is this happening now? And why is that happening?" Whenever every second or third play is going to be broken up with a penalty, going, yeah, "Oh." Yeah neutral zone infraction or something like that and then you have to turn and try and explain that to someone it only bolsters that idea that there's lots of rules and it's complicated and it's stupid yeah it certainly creates an accessibility problem and obviously i mean the problem with something like the nfl is that they don't really have to care that much about new fans because it's so culturally ingrained they're every year on year they beat their viewing numbers again we're setting records this year but i do think as they yeah as they look towards the international expansion that they're pushing towards they're definitely going to want to look at yeah how visually pleasing is the game and how easy is it to actually get into it without constantly having to know the 17 different ways an offensive lineman can be done for holding. Yeah. Plus, you don't want to start seeing like like five minutes left on the clock and then it's like, oh, there's first and 10. Oh, look, there's first and 20. Oh, look, they got to seven and second and 12. And then, I you know, it's just like, you know, constantly redoing downs. Yeah, like the the only the only one that I think this weekend caused a good bit of fun was in the was in the Packers Seattle game 
where uh, Seattle just kept getting done for neutral zone infractions and Aaron Rodgers would see them immediately just swap all his receivers to go routes and would just torch them because he knows he has a free play. That's the only one I can get any enjoyment watching. One of the big talking points this year has been the relative weakness of the NFC East, which is an unusual thing. It wasn't a storyline people were expecting. Um, what do you think of the collapse of Dallas and the Eagles and the so relative success of the Washington team, Harry? It's it's been yeah I, I don't know, I agree with you I don't know if anyone really saw this coming there's a lot of hype the the other you know, this is going to be the Cowboys are going to fall off on a strong year the Eagles are going to fall off on a strong year uh, the Giants are going to you know, turn the corner Eli Manning's got a big new contract uh, Washington just continuing to be Washington but. Uh, yeah, it's been really bizarre, and it's hard to point to any one particular thing. It seems across the division, there just seems to have been a complete breakdown in adequate play and adequate play calling. I mean, looking at it again, for the second time, Dallas are involved in a game where they are essentially handed a win by their divisional opponents being worse than they are somehow. But now they're in a bad situation, obviously, now without Des Bryant, now without Tony Romo. You're looking at Brandon Whedon coming in for them. The Eagles are just a mess. DeMarco Murray has had one of the one of the worst starts for a running back in history to the season. He's averaging just over half a yard a carry. Uh, the Reds, the, you know, the Washington are just, uh, I mean, they seem to be functional, which is bizarre on the football field. Uh, got a win against, as I said last week, an incredibly inconsistent Rams team. And uh, the Giants have just fallen into total crisis mode. There's no leadership. There's no sense of what they want to do. Again, losing a game off the back of, uh, off the back of extremely poor play calling and extremely poor clock management, a game they, they should have won. There's just something, I don't know what it is, but there's something in the water going on down there that none of these teams seem to particularly want to win games, and none of them just seem to have any concept of where their strengths lie or how to exploit them. And it's just, this this could be this year's NFC South if, if it keeps going like this. Well, surely this year's... The NFC South will still be the NFC South, but <laughs> the, Falcon, the Falcons beat the Giants, so I don't know. And Connor, what's your take on it? Yeah, it's just like Harry's right. Like Demarco Murray's not just having one of the worst starts; he's having the worst start of any running back in the last sixty-five years of the league. No running back has had this bad a start in their first two games. Uh, like the. There, there was an element probably in the result of the of the of the Dallas game, which was Dallas wanting to prove that Dallas O lines are the things that will define Demarco Murray. He was getting, I think, it was less than a yard before contact yeah, in the game. Eighty-eight of a yard. Yeah, like just, <laughs> and and for some reason, Chip Kelly decided to just be hard-headed enough. He's like, no, I'm going to keep him in there. I'm not going to give anyone else any carries. This is eventually going to work out, and it just didn't. It was horrible. They were terrible. Cowboys looked okay at the start of the year. Uh, they're not looking as good in this game, and now they've not just lost Des Bryant, as we said. They've lost uh, they've lost Tony Romo as well. So, like the Brandon Whedon Lance Dunbar connection doesn't seem the most exciting moving forward. The Eagles just haven't figured out anything. The Redskins still look poor, but they're poor and they're managing to to eke out wins. Because to be fair, it's it's something we've always said. Like, while we don't like them. Uh, and we think they're terrible. <laughs> uh, they do have they do have skill on that roster. It's just that problem of they're missing it at some of the key positions. Like no one really looks at Kirk Cousins and feels like great expectations. It's just it's just a scenario where no one seems to really know what they're at. Like the the Giants are looking like they're going to be facing a massive crisis of where they're going before mid season at the moment. 
it's it's just it's just terrible. And this is the division that everyone was thinking was going to have the highest scoring offenses in the league and are really going to be competing for stuff. Like this could be the division that sends a less than five hundred team to the playoffs this year. Yeah. And we said last week that the Giants, if they didn't win this week, would be seeing a full-blown crisis, especially with the hot seat that their coaches are on. Do we think that that's happened? Uh, There's an element of it. Like, I can see them getting worried. I can see them kind of going, oh, God, why did we decide to pay Eli Manning, whatever it is, 21, 22 million a year with 60 million guaranteed. I've always been slightly skeptical about rumors about hot seats for, for, is it, it's Tom Coughlin, isn't it? Basically, because... They like him enough to keep him around after a number of terrible seasons. He's got enough rope with the with the management because he got them some Super Bowls. But yeah, like I think regardless of what's going on, we're probably facing into the facing into the last year of him at the at the Giants anyway. And he strikes me as a kind of chap who might retire as soon as he's finished up with the Giants. But yeah, like there, there, there is there is a question mark as well of is it is it the head coach or is it the fact they've brought in an older their, their their previous offensive coordinator and they're just not really clicking properly on offense at all. Yeah, and there's rumors as well that Eli's been audibling to bizarre calls to run down the clock. Yeah, well, it was it was it came out, wasn't it, that he was the one who decided to tell the running back to not score uh, in week one rather than the head coach. Yeah, that's that's the allegation. Yeah, yeah, which is just just ridiculous. <laughs> let's be honest, like. Who needs who, who needs that from a quarterback like and who needs to pay that quarterback at least sixty million dollars over the next four years to do that? Yeah. So once you've got the contract, you can you can do whatever you want. But uh, yes. this is this is what I was saying saying there a minute ago. There is just a lack of leadership going on. Where who's in charge of the offense? Is it Coughlin? Is it Manning? Is it Ben McAdoo? They all seem to think they are, and particularly uh, Manning and and, uh, and the offense coordinator have had a pretty rocky relationship since he arrived in New York. And it looks like that's continuing. And now the pressure is on, as you say, mm. with Manning audibling and trying to make his own clock management decisions. It looks like that's that's continuing. And there's a lack of who's in charge here. I don't know if Coughlin makes it through the season. I think, like you say, he has survived this far on the back of two Super Bowl wins, which both came off quite bad regular seasons. Uh, I think both yeah. cases the Giants were, were a wildcard team basically turned it on in the, in the postseason but unless they get there it's pointless so i would i would wonder i mean they do have they do have ability but there's just nothing to suggest they come together as a team when you look at for example just something as simple as manning's determination on every critical third down or critical fourth down to throw to preston parker who is not good at catching the footballs he has fairly firmly established over the last two weeks there's something going on there's some disconnect between what they want to do and who's making the decision as to what happens on the field. And unless they can sort that out while their defense is bad, unless they can actually really get that offense tight, this is going to be a crisis for New York because they are losing. They have lost two games that they could have won just through sheer incompetence at this point, and that is concerning. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there's a wider thing that we've been discussing ourselves about how the NFC, for the most part, isn't looking as strong as it previously has. That there's like, Obviously, there's, there's still some top tier talent in there, but the actual depth in the in the NFC is not great at all. Like we were we were trying to think through the teams that are going to come out of it, and it was just getting it's getting sad really <laughs> to think about what might be the playoffs. But um, but just in particular, the NFC East, one that was meant to be our high flying, very exciting. Oh, who's going to win it? There's three potentials, and then the dumpster fire that is uh, that is the Redskins is currently being led by the Redskins, and everyone else looks like a dumpster fire. 
Okay, then, speaking of dumpster fires, um, the Colts had a bad loss on Monday Night Football. Is this becoming a problem? It's, you know, it's starting to look that way. And, you know, it's been two tough defenses, so you could credit something to that. But even looking at the Colts, there's been problems on the offense. There were some positives from from tonight. You know, the defense looked uh, better against the run than it did for a long time. But, uh, <clears throat> sorry, but uh, Andrew Luck, decision-making seemed poor. Um, any kind of pressure, he was struggling to make accurate throws. He threw three picks. He could have thrown more. Marcus Gilchrist dropped a pass in the first, dropped a, a potential interception in the first half. Uh, the O-line isn't happening. The receivers, with the exception of Dante Moncrief, could get no separation for the second week in a row. And you've got to think, you know, they spend all this money on Luck. Luck is the, you know, Luck is the future. He's, he's going to get that big contract when his uh, fifth-year option expires eventually. You've got to put something around him. You've got to give him protection. The turnover on the offensive line for the Colts leading up to this season has been insane. They've gone through something like nine players at left guard, five players at center, six players at right guard. And whatever combination they're doing isn't working. The defense isn't good enough to win them games. And they reached a point where they're just constantly leaning on luck. And when he's off, the entire team has nothing it can do to compensate for that fact. And we saw that for the second week against a strong defense. So, yeah, I think there are problems beyond just the opposition. Also for the Colts, their first three cornerbacks are now all out injured. For I'm I don't think any of them are going to be back next week, for example. So... It is actually getting quite worrying as to what's going on down in Indianapolis. Now, they might be fine because, realistically, they're pro- they can probably still win their division with a <clears throat> with a 9 or 10 win season. But something's got to change because after watching that Monday night game, the anyone who can cover their receivers and put a little bit of pressure on up front, and it's not just that dominant Buffalo defense. You know, the Jets are able to bring linebackers and safeties in on the swarm and uh, just sort of pack the line of scrimmage and put the pressure on Luck, and he just isn't able to get it down the field because the receivers at this point aren't, aren't playing well enough, and that's worrying. Yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't really a, a particularly uh, encouraging showing from, from, from the Colts last night. As we said, yes, we could always say that it's another strong defense, but to be honest, a lot of the mistakes that were made here were made by Andrew Luck. There was picks that were thrown, and they were just underthrown. It wasn't that he was hit or anything. It's just, just poor throwing. It's 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 a spot where they're just looking a lot weaker than anyone expected, and this was this was one of the I think it was the the bookies' favorite or the second favorite to be the to be the highest scoring offense in the league this year. It was up there. I think it was tied with tied with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, and both of them were just behind the Packers. The Colts have a chance over the next few games to try and regain a little bit of position. They've got the Titans, the Jags, and the Texans for their next three games which, you know, should be very, very potential wins for them. Uh, in fact, you'd, you'd almost say they'd want to be wins for them at this point and try and get them back to 500 and let them try and get their season back on track. But, yeah, it was it was just it was an unfortunate kind of turn of events. It probably, probably didn't help that they only had one of their starting TBs playing and then that person left the game about halfway through. But just overall, they weren't protecting well. They weren't... Like they they were stopping the ball okay, stopping the run, but like even at that, it was at the it was at the expense of allowing stuff over the middle. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick to to Eric Decker is not exactly what you would call a superstar connection. You would not expect that to be 
the defining connection of a of a football game in which Andrew Luck is playing. But that was far and above the, the best connection we saw throughout this entire game. They were just torching them, torching them over and over. And then as soon as they started to get one-on-one with, uh, with Brandon Marshall, he would either overpower and catch the ball or just draw flags off, off um, inexperienced uh, cornerbacks. So, like... The, the Colts need to sort out their defense, try and try and maybe find some guys to sign off the street or something because they'd probably be better. They had, they had a quarterback playing one-on-one against Brandon Marshall who until this game had never played a single snap on defense, let alone his cornerback. Jesus. They should pull us Washington and put flipping RG3 in. That's it. He can play a long, long-rangey safety. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be worse than what they have. Yeah, to be honest, if anything else, over his last couple of years in the league, he should have learned how to deliver a good hard tackle or two. God knows he knows all about interceptions. Colts right now are the lowest scoring team in the league. They are averaging 10.5 points per game. Like, this is going to, uh, this is probably going to come across later on as a bit of homerism, because obviously we had a similar situation in the KC game, and I'm going to have a very different take on that. But, like, the five turnovers in this game were just ridiculous. They shouldn't have happened for the most part. They were poor throws. The only one that I think it was, was more a freak accident than anything else was the Frank Gore fumbling on the one-yard line going in for a score. He hadn't even been hit. He got the handoff, and as he w- stepped forward, just decided that he wanted to go juggling with it, dropped it on the ground, and they lost that. But, like... When you don't have a good defense and when your offense isn't really firing particularly well, you can't turn the ball over five times and expect to win a game. It was it was horrible. Yeah. And Pagano's thrown luck under the bus after the game, said that it's unacceptable, his fault. What do you think of that? I'm happy to see that, to be honest, because for the most part, I'm expecting most people to rally in and defend them. So these are two tough defenses. The team's just trying to gel. Andrew Luck's amazing. Let's not blame Andrew Luck. Let's blame everyone else. Let's look at the coaches. I don't think the coaches did a great job, but I would squarely put at least two of these uh, two uh, two of these turnovers on Andrew Luck's own head. And I think in a lot of places, his decision-making was poor. Like... Don't throw at your third wide receiver in one-on-one press man coverage against Darrell Rivas when you're being hit in the pocket. Like, there's just lots of very, very poor decision making on his part, and yeah, I think he needs to needs to take a bit of ownership of that. Well, so it's actually, it actually his fourth wide receiver that was being covered by Rivas in one of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I do think that. Um, Andrew Luck does get a bit of a like he's he's a very good player, but he's one of those guys who gets a a free ride. Um, I think to a large extent because of his style of play. If there are other quarterbacks in the league, perhaps quarterbacks with a bit more melanin, uh, you would certainly see people <laughs> rushing to throw them under the bus. Uh, but no, no, I like Luck as a player, but I do think sometimes you know sometimes you protect the players, and sometimes I don't think Pagano would have done it if he didn't think it would have a positive effect. If he didn't think it will uh, light a fire under Luck and try to get him try to get him playing better because, you know, he can play better than this. It's just not happening. And I think it's a combination, you know, of the coaches themselves. I think they're being too aggressive in some of the play calling. If you look at the Jets against them, the Jets were just masterfully conservative to the point where it actually cost them points at certain stages in the game where they could have gone for field goals or take, you know, so it could have uh, tried to get, get uh, be a bit, could have tried to be a little more aggressive and get better field position rather than take punts and so on. But Andrew Luck is trying to force the ball a lot, I think, is currently the key thing. He's feeling the pressure, not just from opposing defenses, but from his own offense struggling. He's trying to overcompensate, and I think that's where a lot of the picks, and that's definitely where the fumble came from as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, you know, maybe giving him a bit of a kick up the arse might be, might be a smart move from Pagan. 
one, one thing to always bear in mind is while Andrew Luck is a golden uh, boy of the NFL and everyone really likes him, like he has got a history of throwing a lot of interceptions and especially in larger games. He's, I think for his career, yeah, for his career, he's got 89 touchdowns, but he's also got 48 interceptions. Like, that's not a fantastic number to be having for what's considered your elite quarterback. And it might be his surrounding talent. As, as Dave, as you were saying last week, it might be that his wide receivers can't get separation. But, like, there is a certain point at which Andrew Luck has to have a sit back and have a think about his decision making and actually think, Am I am I doing the right thing? Am I putting my team in the best position to win? Because in this game, he definitely didn't. Mm. Well, I'm a bit worried about Indianapolis because I think there's been a lot of poor poor investment on offense. Like if you think about, it, they gave up a first round pick for Trent Richardson, who recently got cut by the Raiders. Um, they haven't really drafted fantastically. They haven't been surrounding him by talent with talent, especially not through the draft. Yeah, yeah I think Ryan, Ryan Grigson has been not a great talent evaluator during his time at GM. I can definitely definitely get behind get behind that sentiment. And again, you saw it this year. Like the O line is weak, the D line is 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 pretty pretty well. <clears throat> the deep, the defensive backfield, the defensive general is pretty shambolic, uh, average at best in its strongest positions. And they take another wide receiver who, as it turns out, is fast but raw. Uh, yeah, it's just odd to see that. And the priorities of the team again, it's the expectation that Luck can do everything. Just give him enough weapons, give him another weapon, give him another weapon. If it works out, he'll be able to do everything. I think. Like you said about decision making, I think Luck believes that himself a bit, and that's why he throws so many picks. Just you know, he has to be the one to turn the team, so he will take those risks and he will throw those throw those interceptions. I guess just 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 so we're not burying the lead here. Don't forget the most important thing about the Colts' slow start is finally, finally, Jacksonville are top of their division for the first time since 2010. Let's go, Jags! <laughs> yeah, Blake Bortles better than Andrew Luck empirically. <laughs> that is a hot take, Jesus. my friend. That is a hot take. I'm, I, I'm down on Andrew Luck, even I'm not going there just yet. Okay, we move on to doing the games of the week. Right, so first up was Denver at Kansas City. Um, decent win for Denver. What do we think? Uh, I was so sad. I was so sad when this happened. We stayed up all night and it was so exciting. I, I, I'm actually quite positive for Kansas City coming out of this win. I don't think Denver were actually particularly strong, but then I just got hit right in the fields yesterday. I was having a look online at some some uh, some notes about it, and I just hadn't thought about it in this ter- these terms. It goes, uh, the only time that Denver led this game was in the last 43 seconds. Yeah, yeah it was an interesting result. Um, Peyton Manning, for the first half, looked very mortal. Peyton Manning in the second half looked a bit more like what we'd understand Peyton Manning to sound like or look like. Yeah, it was it was it was basically just that the offensive coordinator decided, Do you know what we should probably stop doing? Let's stop making Peyton Manning play my offense, sit under center, and like have to do dropbacks. He's not very mobile. Let Peyton Manning go into shotgun. Let him call some of his own plays. Let him survey the field. Don't expect him to move like a like a much younger quarterback. As soon as they kind of gave him a bit of leash and let him run his own stuff. He was he was much more effective. Now I don't think I still don't think he was massively effective in the game. He only had two drives that went more than twenty five yards, I think. Uh now they both resulted in scores, which is, you know, what you'd expect from Peyton Manning. But um but like even 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 when he was let off his leash, it was only it was only one or two drives that really got going for them. Yeah. And um Harry, what was your take from the game? Yeah, I think there's uh there's definitely some truth there. Um Manning was 
off for a lot of that. And um, my big take from that is that really, um, I agree with Connor that it wasn't a disaster for the Chiefs, despite being a heartbreaking loss. My big takeaway from that is that Andy Reid still can't manage the damn clock. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the first half in particular, the Broncos should not have had time to get that touchdown. Um, you, obviously, you can't really account for, was it five turnovers in that game Chiefs managed? Five turnovers, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, can, you can't really account for that. But, you know, there, there were definitely definitely positives to, to take away from it for Kansas City. Denver, there is that confidence. Like, Gary Kubiak obviously wants to impose his system. Peyton Manning obviously wants to play in the way that's made him one of the most successful uh, quarterbacks in NFL history. And it's a little bit like the situation we're having over in Minnesota where, you know, the, the, the offense coordinator wants Adrian Peterson to take snaps out of the shotgun, and that's not what Adrian Peterson is best at. So, again, similarly here, having Manning taking those snaps from under center isn't what, he, isn't what he's best at. So, for Denver, who are incredibly lucky to be 2-0, and it is a question of, you know, look, this could be Manning's last season again, as it, as it has been for the last few years. Let him play to his strengths. Give him a chance. To be fair, they've given Manning a huge chance by the defense was bowled out last two weeks. Aqib Tlaib has been incredible. They've made things happen. But there's still that concern, I suppose, that little wobble about what actually shape is their offense going to take. And until they can really find that identity, we're going to see them struggling games. And sooner or later, a team is going to be able to take advantage of that. Whereas for Kansas City, it's, it's frustrating. It's difficult. But they showed potential to win that game. They should have won that game. It was mistakes with the time management, turnovers, you know, things that I'd say can be fixed, except I don't think you're ever going to fix Andy Reid's clock management at this stage. But, uh, yeah, definitely not a disaster, despite being despite being a heart, pretty heartbreaking loss. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Den of um, Peyton Manning's perhaps last season, what do you make of the amount of Den that he's getting hit? I saw something he hasn't been hit this much through this many through the season since 2008. Yeah, like their their line wasn't really holding up well enough, and as soon as a certain element of that is coming from the fact that when you're making Peyton Manning take snaps under center rather than in shotgun, he's a lot slower than he was beforehand. He doesn't get out of pressure as quickly. He's much better when he can stand back and survey the field, so that's why I think they had much more success when they moved to shotgun. Um, to be fair, like they were facing a very strong pass rush in Kansas City, uh, so like it immediately made them much better whenever they were able to able to swap back to the shotgun and give him a bit more time to, to just get the ball out quick. Because I think, I think that's going to be the key now. He doesn't have the strength really in the arm to get the long throws he used to. So it's going to need to be kind of quick rhythm passes out of, out of his hands very quickly so that, you know, if anyone does hit him, they're going to start drawing flags and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I think that's definitely true. Um, it, and it's exactly that. It is It is a question of understanding versus shotgun. When he has time to survey the defense and make the adjustments and give himself that extra couple of, you know, that extra ability to make that quick pass from the shotgun, that's critical. Um, whereas, yeah, he, he's just, when he when he doesn't have that time, he doesn't have that arm strength to get himself out of trouble. He doesn't have that mo- any mobility uh, to get himself out of trouble. So, yeah, he just ends up spending longer in the pocket and the pass rush just has more time to has more time to get home. And that's that's been the difference for him, I think, this year. So, like, just just two more takeaways uh, before before we move on from this game, just because I think they deserve a mention because they were f- immense during the game. Uh, the Denver defense and the Denver pass rush in particular were just phenomenal in this game. The pressure they were bringing, because I think they were I think they were tended to be rushing kind of three guys uh, on third downs, was just was just immense. Like that's going to be very difficult for every team to deal with. Uh, 
they were they were exceptional. Uh, and secondly, uh, just a little shout out to 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 rookie quarter Marcus Peters for the Kansas City Chiefs. He looked phenomenal uh, in this game. Was taking on Emmanuel Sanders and Denarius Thomas because Steve Smith is still out and is now his second NFL game, his second uh, interception, and his first pick six. Uh, that kid is looking like he's going to be something special. Cool. So to move on to New England and Buffalo, I actually thought this was a bit of a shock. I, I made a bold prediction last week that the Bulls would, uh, the Bills would win, and they let me down. Harry, happy enough with the result? Yeah, uh, pretty happy. I uh, had a little bit of a little bit of a sweat at the end, to be honest with you, uh, when uh, we sort of took the took the foot off the pedal in the, in the in the fourth quarter and gave up three touchdowns in fairly rapid succession. It was, yeah, it, it, it was very encouraging. And this is, I know there's this bit of a cliche, you know, Tom Brady's going to be really angry and he's going to have the biggest revenge tour in the history. It's happening. Second game week in a row, Brady comes out and just annihilates, annihilates the defense. Passed for over 450 yards. Had, you know, Gronkowski was over 100 yards, but Edelman was very close. Uh, Dobson, Dobson was pretty close. Dion Lewis close to 100 yards. The, def- the offense is just in, in rhythm early, which is nice to see because last few seasons we sort of started off fairly slow. And um, the defense is, it, it's doing enough. Uh, it's, it's doing enough. Perhaps, uh, you know, maybe against the, if the Steelers had full strength or if Buffalo were just a bit better, might have seen something different because the games have been relatively close at the end. But uh, it's, it's just encouraging to see. I can't, remember our offense starting a season this hot in a in a in a quite a while with all the personnel changes we've had and all the questions about the o-line the o-line which i actually thought held up extremely well against buffalo's pass which really really surprised me of all things um brady had uh brady had a lot of uh had a lot of time had, had a lot of time in the pocket on a lot of plays um i think he was only got to uh got to one or two times so um yeah I'm, I'm delighted with that. It was a really fun game to watch as well. I do think we did see some of the old problems. You know, teams still not the best against uh, against mobile quarterbacks. Still got those questions on the uh, on the back end of the of the secondary against the deep pass, picking that Sammy Watkins touchdown. But if the offense plays like this, nobody's going to outscore us. And Connor, uh, last week people were saying Buffalo Bills for the Super Bowl. This week, do we still think Buffalo Bills for the Super Bowl? Well, they were saying to the Super Bowl. That's a, I, I, I think that's probably a little bit of an overstatement. But um, like they did look very, very strong here. You can see why Tyrod Taylor was the chap they chose to play quarterback uh, out of the collection they had. Like he's he showed quite a lot of ability, and as as Harry mentioned there, like just that that added element, the fact that he can do a bit of the running quarterback stuff, like that was really, really effective in trying to keep the keep the 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 New England defense honest. Um, like he looked, he looked quite good. He's getting a little bit more out of their wide receivers. I'd like to see more coming out of their running game uh, and see see them try a little bit more, kind of something a little bit more exciting in it. Maybe um, I think the problem they had in this game was they were expecting they were expecting their defense to be able to stop New England a bit more than they did after the success they had against the Colts, and thought that their game planning for you know kind of a slightly lower scoring game maybe kind of game planning for about 28 points or something uh wasn't gonna fly just on what what harry is saying about them starting out this well uh, was one of the commentators on uh on i think the monday night game was mentioning uh the last time the patriots started this quickly was their uh 17 and 1 season 
Uh, so yeah, it's 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 a scary prospect if they're firing on all cylinders. And given that this is a team that historically starts off a bit slow in the first four weeks and then really rounds into form and starts powering down the stretch, like if this isn't them going full speed, I'm terrified of what they're going to look like full speed. Yeah, yeah. It just shows how big a deal it was getting Brady back from the suspension as well. Ah, no, oh, come on, Jim. Jimmy Garofalo would have been amazing. <laughs> I'm not that much of a homer to uh, to say that, but uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure you said it at some point during the summer, Harry. You might have been a bit drunk at the time. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty sure I spent most of the most of the preseason hiding under a blanket, uh, waiting for waiting for the second team to come on the field so I need to watch this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> No, it, it is. Yeah, as, as Dave said, having Brady back is is huge. Having a motivated Brady who just seems to be just so in sync at the moment with with the team around him, it's yeah. You, you can't overstate the value. Obviously, you can't overstate the value of having one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL on your team. But like, no, the team is built around Brady. It's built around his strengths, and um, you know we've been very we've been historically very good as a team at adapting to issues and adapting to personnel loss and you're seeing it again us adapting to the uh to the to an extent to the loss of browner and revis i mean obviously we still secondary still have problems but we did also get three interceptions so that was that was pretty nice but um yeah you can't adapt to the loss of brady really you can't ever fully make that uh make that a thing so it's good to it's good to have him back and it's good to see that he's come back in absolute vintage form one thing i would like to say that's been really important as much as the Brady hype, I think really important new addition has been, and obviously people are aware of him now, but Dion Lewis, who has come in to take over for Shane Vereen and has been absolutely incredible and probably played better than Shane Vereen has. So that was a very smart pickup from, you know, a guy who I think was, was he in Cleveland before? No, he was in, yeah. um, oh, check that one sec. No, he, he was in Yeah, I think he was in Cleveland, us. yeah. Uh, but a guy obviously, obviously was, had, had his injury histories and, so on taking a punt on a guy like that, and if he can, you know, resolve his ball security yeah. issues. Pittsburgh. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. So it was. It was the. Um, it was. It was oh, the no, head was coach you, of the, the Browns Brown. and the Colts. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um. And then he was out of the league last year. No one wanted him. That's right. I suppose he did have a couple of. I think it was knee injuries. But yeah, uh, he's just turned out he is the perfect fit, uh, pass catching back in our in our offense, and you know, having a guy to come in and play in that what would have been Shane Vereen's role just means that we still have an aspect on offense that people were worried we would lose. And if Lewis keeps playing to the level he's playing at, he is looking like one of the best pass-catching backs in the league. And he was caught by the Cleveland Browns in training camp. Yeah, to be fair, there was chat about this last night, and like, I think they're, they're correct in saying like, he fit. He fits the. He fits the kind of spread scheme that they use in New England. He gets his his outside routes and his fair fair amount of catches and stuff there. He wasn't going to be playing in that kind of system in in, in Cleveland, and you wouldn't have seen this type of production there. I don't think. Uh, like I think he's he's found a good fit in this offense. And uh, as uh, as we were saying last night, I think uh, the the best the best game plan that anyone who's coming up against the Patriots can have right now is to sneak someone into his house and make sure that his alarm doesn't go off so that he never takes a field again <laughs> and then um baltimore at oakland another upset what do you think of the raiders we were saying last week last week that it wasn't gonna be their year this year have we changed our prediction on that yeah so not 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 quite though i i, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be their year as such i think they're going to be like much improved this year but like a much improved oakland team could be a six win oakland team the 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 car to the car to cooper connection looked uh looked exceptional in this one just lots of 
speed go rights, lots of just burning, burning defense. But also the reemergence of Michael Crabtree in this game, as 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 you say, once you get crabs, they never go away, and goddamn, do they burn you? Like he was, he was phenomenal in this game. Baltimore looked poor, uh, just very anemic on offense, and their defense looked a lot softer than it was. Like, if anything, what this game has done, rather than now, it has given me a much better image of 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 the Oakland Raiders. They played quite well in it, but it's actually just kind of brought down the 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 Ravens in my expectations quite significantly. Like, I had them going up and competing for the top of the top of the, the the AFC North. But looking at them in their performance this week, it makes me think back to the games against uh, the game against Denver and think maybe it wasn't just the Denver defense that was doing the damage to them. Maybe they were doing some of that damage to themselves. Yeah, I think um, fair play to the Raiders for bouncing back and obviously getting Derek Carr back was a, was a huge part of that. Crabtree having an absolute stormer. Cooper looked excellent. Uh, Latavius Murray had a nice game. But yeah, the big thing is how poor the Ravens the Ravens looked. Uh, the run game has now struggled two weeks in a row. They weren't getting a huge amount of pressure on Carl all the time, and also they're um, they're, they they were just getting beat. The the uh, defensive backs were getting beat way too many times on way too many routes and simple simple stuff. Quite a lot of the time, just speed plays and just getting o- overpowered and out outdone physically. Um, so it is quite concerning for for Baltimore, who, as you say, would have started off as one of the one of the favorites. And obviously, there were some bright spots. Steve Smith went absolutely mental after his twelve uh, yard <laughs> game last week, and dropped dropped a buck fifty on the on on Oakland. But these are the games you have to win if you want to, you know, if you want to be in any way competitive, you've got to be able to beat Oakland. Like, really, it's as simple as that. Um, so yeah, it's a drop game for it's a drop game for for Baltimore. It's uh, is Joe Flacco elite? Not right now. He's not. Um, again, failed to win. Failed had a chance. Had a chance to get get them back. Uh, I think they got the ball back with uh, with a, with a bit of time. They could have made it down as well. Yeah. It, it was just a just a really poor performance all around for Baltimore. And I don't think you can attribute that to Terrell Suggs' injury because I actually think C.J. Mosley played pretty well. Okay. Um... So from the good side to the not so good side of the games, actually what we're going to say this one is the neutral, the, the the neutral game of the week where it was not quite good enough to be a good game, but not really a bad game either. But we just want to talk about it, so it's going to be Tennessee at Cleveland. What do you think of that, Connor? Uh, it was it was an entertaining enough game to watch. Um, yeah, like neither side showered themselves in glory in this one. There was some there was some great one-off throws in this game though. Like Johnny Football's uh, first touchdown pass to Benjamin was 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 great to watch. It was just you know you could see every single person in the stadium going, oh my god, maybe it's finally time. And then you saw the kind of throws in between, and you went, oh maybe not, maybe he's not as good as he looks. And then he throws another big deep touchdown as well. Like it was a very up and down game for him. Uh, so his highlight reel looks excellent, but whenever they go and analyze the tape, I don't think it's going to hold up quite as well as it does in our memories immediately. Similarly with Tennessee, there was some phenomenal one-off plays like big deep balls and touchdowns, but the the stuff that wins you football matches, the the the, the, the making your 4 yards, your 7 yards a pop, you're just kind of driving down the driving down the the fields and your your just management of a of the team as a whole and kind of cutting defenses apart for the most part wasn't there like it was bright sparks on both sides 
but not really much meat and consistency behind that. Okay, well, I'll give you a fact about Johnny Manziel in the last game. Oh, oh, will you, Mr. Browns? Yeah. Johnny Manziel had a QB rating of 133, which is the highest QB rating for a Browns QB since Derek Anderson in 2008. Yeah, but I looked at that stat, and we were, it was, I think, just past the third, or sorry, just past the second quarter, and uh, and he had a perfect QB rating with, I think it was six completions of 14 attempts for one touchdown and 70 yards. Like, QB rating clearly means nothing because that's ridiculous. He had like a 54% completion rate, 70 yards, and they were giving him a perfect game. Yeah, well, true. That's true. Harry, what did you make of the game? Uh, yeah, so a bit of a weird game. Um, some Yeah, like some nice plays on offense, an awful lot of offensive miscues, an awful lot, a lot of fumbles in that game. Uh, by I think, uh, Anyway, a couple for each quarterback. It was... You know, it's, it's difficult to say what. And this is why we're in the, this neutral zone. It's difficult to say if this was a good or a bad thing uh, from both teams. I mean, for from the from the from the side of the Browns, things looked uh, better than last week. Uh, Manziel got it done when he needed to. On the other hand, I think and I think the defense played actually played quite well. I think the credit to to Cleveland's defense for shutting down Mariota, who also didn't you know didn't have a terrible game, but it just. You know, it's one of those things you just can't quite put your finger on, you know. And what do we think of Mariota? Like nothing I is quite working. And then trying to go the way of Jake Locker in that he gets hit a lot. Like, he got sacked seven times. Yeah. It's 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 a worry. Uh, definitely a worry. I don't know. Like, was there something about it this week that caused this? Like, was it just that the Browns' D-line was overpowering them? Like, I only, I only watched kind of highlights of this game and a, and a couple of extra bits and pieces. So, like, I didn't see the entire thing. Like, were, were, were they just getting manhandled by the lines? Or was it... We what, what was causing it? Um, we, we, like, we got in free agents. We got in... Um, we, we spent a first-round pick on Shelton. So, like, I think the line is quite good this year, our D-line. But, I don't know. I think it was just because Petten plays a lot of kind of... Um, disguised blitzes and stuff. See, yeah. Mariota didn't know what they were. And I think he didn't get the ball out quick enough. He thought that we were playing, um, like, cover, and it turned out to be a blitz. And then you just get... Like, we hit him pretty badly a lot. Like, we we took his helmet off, we took his boot off. I think Mariota did go, what, got, sack, got sacked uh, six or seven times in that game, didn't he? Yeah, seven, seven. Wow. No, like, there's, there's an element of, like, last week he was playing Tampa, and he... Got to look at kind of a nice zone coverage scheme, a bit probably more common to what he would have played against in college, and that allowed him to make his reads a bit easier and find the little seams to go between. Like, I, like I said, I didn't watch the whole game, but from what I saw, Cleveland seemed to be playing a lot more press man and playing tight man-to-man coverage, which just wouldn't allow him the amount of time, and he probably just held on to the ball a bit too long. On the couple of sacks I saw, I think I saw four of them. Like he was holding on to the ball longer than he had been the week previously, and I think it was just the nature of he's not as used to playing against like even if you play against a press man coverage defense in college you're not playing against the level of athletes doing it that are doing it in in the nfl so the separation is going to be shorter and that's going to be a problem for a new for a young quarterback so i think that's probably played an element in why this defense was so much more effective at disrupting him and not letting him get the ball out as quickly yeah and then uh what do we make of Johnny Football's glorious return in the Battle of the Heismans? Meh. Meh. Yeah, like, uh, you know, it, 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 was, it was odd watching watching Mansell because he would, 
mate, you know, made a couple of absolutely, you know, some of some of enough last week made a couple of absolutely incredible plays. Um, the touchdowns to Benjamin were both fantastic throws down the field, and he's showing the ability to do that. The problem is he is still inconsistent. He still makes mistakes, and he's still his accuracy isn't there. But it, it is encouraging, you know, particularly if he can. You know, if you can keep him from getting hit and give him more time to, to bet into that offense, I think you're seeing there's definitely been progress since last season. Yeah. And there's definitely even been a bit of progress since last week. So, although, again, admittedly against a softer defense. I have another great stack for you. Travis Benjamin has scored four touchdowns this, this season, all of which have been more than 50 yards. And the last player to do that was Jim Brown in the 1950s. Oh, wow. That's actually Excellent. incredible. That is actually a very, very impressive number. Good God. Yeah, he's got 296 all-purpose yards. I will say, actually, for, for Benjamin, who's always been a you know a very fast guy with questionable hands, his from what I've seen this season, his route running looks like it's improved an awful lot. Yeah. So maybe he is just putting it together a bit, in which case... I think his route running was hit by his uh, ACL, and he couldn't cut as quick as he used to be able to. All right, now I feel now I feel like an asshole. <laughs> but um, I know I think since he's come back from his ACL, because he's one year out from the ACL injury, so I think now he's kind of confident. And um, like the last play that he did with Manzel apparently wasn't a called play; it was just the play broke down, so he just put his hand up and just ran, and then Manzel found him. I thought that was very smart from Benjamin. Yeah, I'm- yeah, no, that's good. Like I said, I said, I said, Matt, like what it was, was there was one or two exceptional plays on the part of Johnny Football. You can see the potential that's there, which is I didn't see enough in the kind of day-to-day grinding it out, just running an offense up and down a field to, to, to make me happy with him yet as a starter. Like, I think he needs to get better at the bread and butter because he's already got the topping. He just needs the bread and butter. Yeah. Okay. So from a neutral zone game to not a good game at all which is Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Harry, what was your take on Tampa's win over the increasingly frustrated Saints? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to say sometimes about, about the New Orleans Saints. And at this point, you know, <laughs> there's two things going on here. I think, firstly, the Saints have ditched some of their best players over the last while, and that's coming home to roost. Uh, poor old Drew Brees is throwing to a lot of people he doesn't seem that comfortable throwing to like the loss of Jimmy Graham is just why why have they done that and obviously they're the junior galette issue on the defense but I think the big problem for the New Orleans Saints is Rob Ryan's defense is once again awful I I, I don't know how he is still there at this stage uh, because it's not been good enough for a long time Brandon Browner is continuing to be a flag machine he was extremely poor today Gave away a bunch of holding and PI calls that were totally avoidable. I think might have had an unnecessary roughness as well. On the other side, I can't remember the which corner it was, but uh, on there was a, a highlight there on a, on a deep pass to Lewis Murphy. The Saints corner undercut the route, ended up about ten. Oh, I don't Murphy was. Ross behind the ball was looking up into the sky for the football as Lewis Murphy ten yards down the pitch was catching it. There is a total lack of communication. There's a total lack of understanding of whose role is what in that defense right now, particularly in the backfield. And when that's allowing Jameis Winston to, James Winston to basically just pick you apart. So the problem is that for, for New Orleans, is that Drew Brees is in a situation where he's lost his best offensive weapon. Uh, he's perhaps a little less comfortable than he was before. 
Uh, possibly got injured in the game as well, actually, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about later. But the defense in New Orleans just year on year seems to get worse and worse, seems to lose talent, seems to lose players who actually have uh, uh, the un- understanding of the scheme they run. And doesn't seem to, uh, Rob Ryan doesn't seem to have the uh, ability to sort that problem out. So what we're now seeing is the culmination of that is him losing another divisional game uh, to an extremely weak divisional rival because they just cannot play defense at the moment. Basically, as, as Harry said, just lots and lots of miscommunication. They're missing a lot of their offensive weapons. Drew Brees decided that he wasn't going to throw the Brandon Cooks until like the end of the third quarter, I think. Uh, just completely forgot that his main pass catcher is there. I do think that they're going to benefit from CJ Spiller coming back in because I think he's going to fit really well in this offense. But yeah, like Tampa Bay as a whole looked a lot more uh, on point than they did uh, the week beforehand. Jameis Winston looked a lot more composed and it might be kind of the, kind of the, 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 the inverse of what we were saying about Tennessee that because there's such miscommunication on the part of the defense in this team and because they're not really up to speed and because they're playing kind of soft zones where they're not entirely sure what zone they're meant to be covering as with that highlight that uh, that Harry was talking about that it was going to be easier to get the ball out and easier to find little seams in here um, there's not much of a pass rush coming at him so he has a little bit more time he looked better but I think an element of that is a reflection of the 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 the, the failings of the of the Saints uh, defense and Tampa Bay's defense looked a lot more on point. They were jamming people up a bit more, and they were getting a bit more pressure in there. Um, I'd say I'd say they just had a big fire lit under them after after last week. I still think they're going to be bottom of this division um, by the end of it. Although that said, this seems to be a division where they're all fighting for who's going to be bottom. Um, but yeah, Tampa Bay looked better, but I think that's more a reflection on how the Saints were playing rather than Tampa Bay taking a massive step in the right direction. And we were going to talk about Dallas and Philly and Atlanta and the Giants, but we talked about them a lot in the news bit. But is there any kind of last-minute thoughts you guys have on those two? DeMarco Murray, like Chip Kelly has got to start rotating his his running backs more. Murray isn't working. You need to take some time, work out what's going on there. And I know they invested heavily in him, spent a load of money. It's time to give, give Ryan Matthews and Darren Sproles more touches because DeMarco Murray just is not working in this offense. And Chip Kelly cannot afford to be about this because he's been stubborn this week that you know that cost them the game yeah and just as like we didn't really talk about them that much atlanta looked a bit better this week again um still not still not phenomenal but like the offense is firing well and the defense is looking a little bit more stout that said again it was against a new york team that wasn't really playing particularly well but atlanta looking like in a very weak uh nsc side they can compete so yeah Firstly, to take a look at the picks for next week, who we think is going to win. Uh, we're going to rattle through them much quicker than we did last week. Um, and then anyone where there's disagreement on, we'll have a look, quick look at that. So the consensus picks early are for New Orleans and Carolina. We think Carolina's going to win. Quick thought on that. Ah, yeah, just like, look, at New Orleans were awful today. Uh, they might be playing without Drew, Drew Brees as well. And uh, if, if we've seen anything from them so far, it's that they're happy to absolutely piss away uh, in division games. So Yeah. Then Atlanta at Dallas. We've all picked Atlanta. Harry? Uh, two words on this one. Brandon Whedon. Um, Atlanta yep. will once again beat an incredibly weak uh, NFC East opponent. Then for the Thursday night game, we have Washington at New York Giants. 
And myself and Connor have picked the New York Giants, but Harry has picked Washington. Defend yourself, Harry. Look, I think this is more. This pick is more about the Giants than it is about Washington. At the moment, you know, none of these are good teams, and I don't like. I don't like picking Washington to win anything ever because I think they're a horrible, horrible franchise that's run by horrible, horrible people. But right now, the Giants have constantly found a way to lose games. They have a defense that is struggling really badly. Washington, for all their problems, their running game has looked quite good. Freddie Morris and Matt Jones both had incredible games against the Rams, who are uh, quite a good team against the rush. Uh, I don't think the Giants can even pull that off. Their linebacking core is depleted. Their their secondary is is depleted. I just think that the the right now Washington are in a better are in a somehow have managed to end up in a better place than New York. Perhaps more accurately, New York have somehow managed to end up in a worse place than Washington in terms of just their organizational dysfunction, and that is bleeding down onto the field so much. We saw it this week: total lack of leadership, total confusion over who's in control. In, in Washington, like, Kirk Cousins is the most talented QB in the world, but he plays the game that's wanting to. And it, that kind of stability, I think, is going to make the difference in what is going to be a pretty poor game. Okay. And Connor, the Giants? Yeah, like, I agree. Giants aren't in the greatest position they've been for a while. But I don't have as much faith in Washington as, as Harry does uh, whatsoever. Um, I think Giants are at home. There's a lot of pressure on them to do well. They only lost by four points at home this week to an Atlanta team that I think is better than the Washington team is. And I think they'll have a fire under them to to perform stronger because if they don't, we're talking about coaches potentially looking at job losses by mid-season. Like, if not coaches and offensive coordinators. Um, I think they've got the tools on offense to, to, to outscore them if they can finally get it going. I don't believe in the Washington defense uh, really at all. Is it D'Angelo Hall and a few of them on the corners? Like I can see them getting burned all day. Yeah, I just I, I don't see I don't see Giants backing up a loss at home with a second loss at home to an in division rival when I don't see that division rival as having enough offensive capability to keep up with them if they can just start getting going. Yeah, like my main reason is I think it's just regression to the mean. I think that at some point teams are going to start hitting where they are or where they should be, and I just don't see the Washington being better than the Giants over a full season, I think in this game, I think that's probably where you'll see. I think the talent the, Gi- the Giants have is just better than Washington have. I think this function is masking that, but I think they can probably pull it out for a one-off game with their division rivals. Okay, so to keep going then, we've got Tampa Bay at Houston. Everyone's picked Houston. Everyone agree? Well, everyone obviously agrees. Yeah, like it's not, it's not going to be a particularly entertaining game or anything, but uh, but yeah, like... I think Houston, to be honest, like for me, this was just, it was just a home field thing of, I think they're probably pretty close. Uh, Houston might have sorted out their controversy at quarterback, but just go for the home team in what will be a low scoring and incredibly uninteresting game to watch. Yeah. And then Indianapolis at Tennessee. Do we think Indianapolis are finally going to get a W, Harry? Yeah, I just don't think the Tennessee defense is good enough. Um, The problem still exists for Indy, but Tennessee aren't going to be able to lock down receivers in that same way. So Indy will, will I think, mask some of their problems in that game. Okay. And here's one that I think relatively uncontroversial. Jacksonville at New England. Connor, what do you think? Oh, God. Like, this is going to be horrible. Like, in the form that the Patriots are in at the moment, the, the, like, the only hope that Jacksonville have is to not get completely destroyed. And 
yeah, like I don't think Bill Belichick is a cuddly nice person, so I'm not sure if he's gonna gonna just calm down on them. I think he's gonna go to town on them, and you know, kind of use it as a let's try out some new and interesting looks to try and confuse the Colts whenever we're going back in there for our game in week five or six. And then one with a bit of disagreement, um, the AFC North derby, Cincinnati at Baltimore. I'm the only one who thinks that Baltimore are going to win. But I'll, I'll hear your reasons for why Cincinnati are going to win first, guys. Harry? Yeah, look, I think you know Cincinnati have looked quite good over the last two weeks. I was actually surprised by how good they looked against against San Diego. Um, Baltimore are just all, a bit all over the place at the moment, and I just don't see how they're going to be able to stop AJ Green. I, I don't see anywhere right now where Baltimore has the edge. Also, it's not a primetime game, so you don't even have Andy Dalton making an absolute mess of things. Yeah, overall, just like Cincinnati, Cincinnati have one of the best overall rosters in the NFL. Their problem has always been the quarterback and his inconsistency. He's been pretty good for the first two two weeks. In fact, I say he's been quite good for the first two weeks. Uh, Baltimore are all over the shop. Uh, Joe Flacco is not a lead, regardless of what Donald Trump says. He's got two. He's got rings, man. That's all that matters. He's got rings. Look, my mum has rings. It doesn't mean that she <laughs> can play football. Um. I actually do think that Baltimore are going to win. I think it'll be close, but you say you can't stop AJ Green, but the re- way you stop AJ Green is by stopping Andy Dalton. And the fact that Andy Dalton's had two good games just means that he's like it's like a it's like a pseudo random number generator. When the outcome has come because it's pseudo random, you know because you've got your positive outcome a number of times, the bad one is coming and it's coming soon. Um, that's probably a very niche reference there. Very I got it. I got it. I understand. I understand. Uh, the the thing the thing I will say is like if you're talking about stopping Andy Dalton, what's going to do it? Because like the secondary is not going to do it really. Uh, the pass rush isn't looking great. Like the pass rush allowed Derek Carr with a terrible O line to score what 37 points against them. And I I don't I just don't see I don't see where Baltimore's defense is going to cause enough pressure to to shake that roster down, especially like they're they're at home, aren't they as well? Yeah, but, you know, Dalton, like, when the Browns absolutely rinsed them in th- on Thursday Night Football last year, like, Dalton threw picks to Craig Robertson with no pressure at all. So, like, I don't know, he's just, he's just an, I don't know, I think Cincinnati are, like, basically the arsenal of the NFL, which is hey. absolutely no bottle, and they have a great roster, but they can't do anything with it. Is, Fair enough, we'll I, see. I don't, we'll I don't, see. I don't, as an Arsenal fan, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply uncomfortable with that comparison, but <laughs> I, have, I have no, I have actually no logical response. <laughs> All right, we'll, continue, we'll continue on um philly versus the jets everyone thinks the jets are going to win why uh, defense yeah also because the, the eagles are a dumpster fire at the moment <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the only the only possible downside i can see is that like the jets didn't look uh that strong against the run uh, last night. So what what might happen is like uh, Demarco Murray might start averaging two yards a carry. Wow, two yards a carry still is not a first down though. <laughs> I know, but it's still nearly double what he's currently doing, yeah, and it'll be four times what he got last night. Yeah. All right. So Oakland at Cleveland. I feel this could be a homer pick, but I will still defend it to the death. I think Cleveland will win. Everyone else thinks the Raiders are going to win. Why? Why do you think the Raiders are going to win? Yeah, look, I mean, I just think, I think we've seen what the Raiders can do when Derek Carr stays in for full game. Uh, I, I do recognize that, yeah, Cleveland's, uh, Cleveland's backfield is pretty good, but I think that the Raiders have now seem to be developing quite a few weapons there. 
solid run game in the same way that the Jets were able to just use a solid run game against the against the Browns. And but like serving the Browns is it's, it's just a consistency thing. I mean, it's like we can see Johnny Football make those amazing throws. I don't know if if McCown will be back or not. But um, for me with Cleveland right now, it's like I I just don't know what to expect from this team. I think Oakland have shown that they have an awful lot of players, an awful lot of upside, who who now are getting some kind of connection. And I don't necessarily see Cleveland being able to recreate those those monster throws, particularly against a team which has, you know, Woodson came back after a uh, uh, a separated shoulder. Um, a team with, a, you know, safeties who can cover a little bit. Uh, so I don't know if, if we'll see Cleveland necessarily make those miracle plays that it did and um, might struggle to move it on the ground as well. Their run game isn't poor and Oakland have looked okay, looked okay against the run last week. So, yeah, I just think it's a okay. of Oakland just have more weapons at this stage. Okay, and Connor, would you agree? I agree with you. Like for the, for the most part, is that I can see from 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 Oakland this week, and even to a small extent, that the the start of their game in the in the first week, like I can see them doing the moving down the field consistently. They've got a run game to support it. They've got a couple of weapons on the outside. I can see them being able to 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 continuously be moving and getting stuff going. Again, my problem with Cleveland is that, yes, they have some nice splash plays and stuff like that, but they don't have the bread and butter to just constantly move it up and down the field. And when you play like that, you're more susceptible to one big element causing a problem for you. Whereas I think Oakland are built that if they if they make a mistake, if they throw a pick, they've got the kind of, can lean on the run game, have a couple of receivers and stuff like that, that they'd be able to, to, to eke it out. So I do think it'll be a close game, but I think Oakland will edge it. Um, okay, so to defend my pick, I think that the Cleveland defense is significantly better than the Oakland defense. Um, I think Cleveland this year are probably going to have one of the top five defenses in the league. We did last year, so I think that's probably a safe enough um, thing to say. I don't think the Oakland defense is there. And I think that because of that, if McCown's playing, I think we'll have less problems. If Manziel's playing, I still think we'll be okay. Because I think they've got Mac, but they haven't got... Like, they've got solid, but they've not got spectacular. Because I think Joe Hayden had an aberration of a week last week where he was awful, but he's very good this week. And I think um, the our secondary is fantastic. I think this week our run defense and our D-line looked horrible this week. Like, Well, I mean horrible in a good way. For Browns fans, horrible in a bad way for everyone else. So I think that Eric Carr <laughs> will find it pretty pretty tough. Like I think like we got to Mariota like the most times I think we've done got to a quarterback in like three years or something. And I don't think the Raiders O line is great. I don't think they're I don't think they'll get I think there'll be a lot more pressure on Carr than there will be on Manziel. Secondly then, I think that our run game is actually starting to click in that like that eleven yard touchdown that Crowell got was quite good. I think Duke Johnson actually looks ridiculous. So he's been injured for the entire preseason, so I think his, he looked rusty and didn't really understand where plays were going. He missed a lot of holes last week and to an extent this week. But I think once Duke Johnson gets in the swing of things, I think we'll start gouging teams like pretty bad on the run game. I think that will take a lot of pressure off Manziel. I also think the fact that Manziel is able to hit those 50-yard bombs that Hoyer could never means they can't stack the box against us, which seems to be what everyone was doing. But I think that means that he's got the space to throw to Benjamin. I think if that's going to open up a lot of space for our run game. So I actually think things are taking along nicely for Cleveland. I think we've got a good shot. Cleveland to the Super Bowl, confirmed oh. by Dave Hardery. <laughs> seven, seven, eight wins, I think. Which, with our, with our schedule, which is pretty hard, I think it was actually pretty good. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so Pittsburgh Steelers at St. Louis. Everyone thinks the Steelers. 
Yeah. Come on. Did you, did you see what they did? The execution they did on live television to the 49ers? Like, oh, God. And I think, is, is it this game that Lev Bell is back for as well? No, I think uh, it's, no, it's week four. Oh, it's week four. Like, even, even without him, like, this is just, yeah, they're going to torch them. Absolutely torch them. Yeah. Like, no, I... St. Louis's main plus is going to be, like, their aggressive front seven and being able to put pressure on them. If there's ever a quarterback that's able to deal with pressure, it's Rapelsberger. Like, yeah, yeah, like he he'll just let them bounce off him, like you know, sexual assault allegations. <laughs> yeah, that's that's gonna be an ugly game. Uh, all right, so then the final contested pick of the Sunday late games or the Sunday games is the San Diego Chargers at Minnesota. And um, myself and Connor think San Diego. So I suppose I'll I'll start out with why I think San Diego are gonna win. I think that Bridgewater has looked very underwhelming this year. I think that Adrian Peterson is being chronically misused. And I think that the Chargers are, number one, they look good at the QB position. Number two, they're not misusing their run game. I think on those two factors alone, they're better than Minnesota. What about you, Connor? Yeah, I just, it's a very similar thing for me. Like, I just, I like San Diego's offense. I think they're good. I think they're a bit inconsistent at the moment, but I think it's there. I think Minnesota is just, yeah, just chronically chronically misusing uh adrian peterson at the moment uh like yeah as harry even said earlier on like just just stop running him out of the shotgun the whole time like that's just stupid just take him he's a pounder just get him in there in between the tackles get him to work away through there i see them making that adjustment but i don't see them making that adjustment by this game i think it's something that they're gonna probably try and write out for another game or two the system will work eventually uh and then it won't work eventually and they'll change it around okay well i'll uh i'll, I'll come back on that um now, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I, you know, I'm not making this pick. Oh yeah, you know, Minnesota are going to blow them out or anything. And yeah, there are problems. Um, actually, the problem the Vikings are having is a problem that uh, San Diego are all too familiar with, which is that North Turner is an idiot. But <laughs> even with with that said, you know, I was actually quite underwhelmed by San Diego this week. Uh, I think there are problems they have now, particularly. I think they've got a couple of injuries on the O line, which are, are issues. Um, the Vikings, there comes a point where the Vikings are going to figure out they need to play to the strengths of their best player. And I think we're going to see, after the two weeks we've had, I think we're going to see Peterson being run out of the out of the eye form more. I think we're going to see an adjustment made there. Uh, Bridgewater, yeah, hasn't looked great, but he certainly looked better from between week one and week two. And I think he's going to continue to get comfortable and settle in. San Diego, the problem is I'm just not sure San Diego has anyone they can rely on in a tough game to be that difference maker. I think they've got a lot of, like, good to pretty good players. But I think that... I don't I don't know if there's anyone they can, you know, turn to when things get tough and be like, you'll be the game-breaker, particularly when they're... they're so they're quite reliant on Philip Rivers. I think with the problems on the O-line, I think Minnesota are going to have success pressuring him, and I think that's going to cause problems to San Diego's offense. And San Diego's defense has looked wobbly um, over recent weeks. So I think the Vikings have enough about them to edge that. Uh, between Peterson and Bridgewater. Okay. And then to kind of run through the remaining few fixtures, um, San Fran at Arizona. Everyone thinks Arizona. Yeah, it's going to be similar to the Pittsburgh yeah. game again. San Fran are not good. No. Uh, Buffalo at Miami. Everyone thinks Buffalo. Yeah, Miami have been one of the surprises of the season and just how terrible they have been. I think after getting losing that game to the Patriots, Buffalo are going to be out to stomp somebody and they have all the tools to just destroy this Miami offense that has been completely misfiring. Bears at the Hawks. Everyone thinks the Hawks? Well, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Clausen versus the Hawks. 
That's gonna be yeah. amazing, man. Like fi finally, they've got a game where they don't really, really need a good safety because no one's really gonna be passing that much. Yeah, yeah. Richard Sherman had a career low game last week. Oh, he was brutal. Like oh. he, he he kept drawing flags. I, I remember I was looking at it. He uh, between the between the passes allowed and the flags he drew, he allowed over a hundred yards against him. Terrible. Bad. All right, Denver at Detroit, and you wouldn't have thought this last year, but everyone has said Detroit. Yeah, now that's that's obviously pending pending the health of uh, pending the health of Matt Stafford. Yeah, but because um, Dan Orlovsky isn't going to win a football game, but uh, yeah, it feels like Detroit. Uh, you know, it feels like Detroit are going to going to going to turn the corner here at some point. Big primetime game uh, at home against against um, a hyped up opponent. I think they're going to get there. This is when they're going to get their, get themselves together, and we're going to see again the deficiencies. And then, last but not least, the Broncos game Kansas City running. at Green Bay. Yeah, it was it was hard for me to to not pick Kansas City here because you know I am a Kansas City fan. Um, I I I square it with myself by saying, look, if it was a week later and we had Sean Smith back, I might have been able to justify a homer pick. But um, yeah, I think I think it's. I think that the defense is going to look good against them. The offense is going to do okay, but it's just it's just that thing of like Aaron Rodgers is on form. We have like if you've watched the last few games, you've seen how how brutally Jamel Fleming has been playing and how he's just been attacked by 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 every quarterback. Like I think uh, I think Madding targeted him nine times uh, for six catches. And oh, it was it was it was horrendous. And this chap is now going to be playing against Aaron Rodgers, who is a far superior quarterback. So, like, I just I just don't see with Sean Smith out how our secondary is going to be able to allow us to keep pace when I don't think our offense is is going at anywhere near enough of a pace to go score for score. Our defense is perfect if it can keep us in games, but I don't think it'll be able to keep a slightly anemic currently offense uh, going toe to toe with the with the with the Packers. And Harry, what's your, what's your take? Uh, on Kansas City Green Bay, yeah, I think that's, look, that's a pretty comprehensive assessment. Uh, they don't have enough firepower and they don't have enough on defense to make to make up for the, to make up the difference. The only thing I would say is even if you did have your, your, uh, your fully healthy set of cornerbacks, I don't see Kansas City beating Green Bay the way Green Bay are playing at the moment. At Green Bay, it looks like we'll have Eddie Lacy back for that game as well, which is important. Do you know what? To hell with it. I'm swapping my pick. I'm going for oh, Kansas City God. Chiefs now. <laughs> Jamal Charles to break off 350 yards and nine touchdowns. No, no, no. They're not going to do it. But my God, I would love it if they did. Because <laughs> I think it's Denver. I think everyone would have enjoyed that more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm sad again. Okay, so all that's left to say is just, uh, thanks for listening from myself, Dave, and Harry. And uh, hopefully now next week Ian will be back. He's uh, moved to London and is currently homeless, so uh, he has no internet connection. Thanks for listening and uh, chat to you all next week. Oh, it appears that we've actually got a message across from London from uh, from Ian. Uh, Ian, what's up? I like fucking pretty boys. Thanks for that, Ian.